Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Well, once again, I'm grateful for the opportunity to minister God's Word. Back uh, in the days when I was uh, actively serving as a senior pastor, uh, of course, I preached every week multiple times. So it's a real special treat and an honor and a privilege, really, to be able to open up the Word of God and minister to all of you this morning. It's especially meaningful to me because this is my home church. And just to have an opportunity to, to uh, preach the Word of God and uh, minister to your heart uh, is, is a really a special blessing this morning. Well, I hope you had a very happy and blessed Christmas. We sure did. Our Seafried family had a wonderful Christmas. And uh, this week, Nancy and I will be traveling to Ohio to be with a couple of our married daughter's families out there. And so we're looking forward to that, uh, spend some time over the holidays with them. We are in a series of messages here in the month of December entitled, God is in Control. God is in control. Now we look around in the world today and it doesn't appear that mankind is in control, that's for sure. Uh, Our world is a mess and it looks like from a human perspective that things are totally out of control. The COVID pandemic with all of its variants seems to be out of control. Crime seems to be out of control. Illegal border crossing seems to be out of control. And we look at that and from a human viewpoint and as human beings and we say, well, what a mess. It just doesn't seem like, you know, is that the things are under control. But if you get anything out of today's message, I want you to get this. Even when the circumstances of life all around us and the circumstances in our country and around the world look so bad, I want you to remember this. God is still in control. He's sovereign. He he is Lord over all. And yes, he allows in his his providence some unfortunate, unhappy things to occur And we're going to be looking at some of those from Luke chapter 2 this morning. Yet, I just want to assure you, if there's ever a message that people need to hear today, with all that's going on, if there was ever a time that people needed to be encouraged with this truth, it's today. God truly is in control. And so we're going to look at that here this morning. Well, here's what we've learned so far from Pastor Matthew. I want to review what he's covered the last three weeks before I uh, launch into my sermon for today. Three weeks ago, we learned from Luke chapter 1 that God was in control, number one, of Mary. The Holy Spirit so controlled her body that she supernaturally conceived 
in her womb. We call that the virgin birth. And I'm quoting from Luke chapter 1, verses 30 and following. The angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. What an announcement that was. We call that, by the way, the Annunciation. Then Mary, verse 34, asks a very sincere, simple, heartfelt, logical question. How shall these things be, seeing I know not a man? And then the angel goes on to give this explanation. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing that shall be born of you, listen to this, shall be called the Son of God. So number one, God was in control of Mary. Number two, we learned from Pastor Matthew in the second week of December that God was in control of, of Joseph. God revealed to him in a dream that it was okay to take Mary as his wife. They were just engaged or betrothed at that time. And uh, God told him in a dream, go ahead and take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. You know, it's interesting, God's angel gave the same message to Mary as he gave to Joseph. Now, that explanation did three important things for Joseph. Number one, it supplied the answer to his doubts, his suspicions, his confusion. How can my wife be pregnant? I know it's not me. What in the world's going on here? And so that announcement supplied the answer to the doubts and fears and suspicions that Joseph must have had in his heart. Secondly, the explanation served to su support Mary and the story that she had already given to him, which I'm sure he found really hard to believe. But the angel's message supported what Mary had already tried to explain to him. And thirdly, the angel's message to Joseph saved his marriage from falling apart. So that announcement to Joseph in a dream was really important. Now week three, Pastor Matthew talked about the wise men, how God was in control of the wise men. What made the wise men wise? Several things. Number one, they followed God's leadership. That's always a smart thing to do, by the way. Those of you that are young people here today, wondering what God has in store and plan for your life, I want to tell you that the thing you can learn from the wise men is this. They followed God's leading. 
God was directing them, showing them the path to take, and they listened to God. They followed God's direction. What else made them wise? They got their answers from the Bible, from the word of God. When they got to Jerusalem, they said, where is he that's born king of the Jews? We have seen a star in the east and we are come to worship him. But Herod and nobody else in Jerusalem seemed to know where the child was going to be born. Until they got the manuscripts out of the Old Testament and they found in Micah 5.2 the prophecy that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to be born in a little town called Bethlehem. The smartest thing any of us can do this morning is to get our answers from the Bible. From the word of God, not from the theories of man, not from the opinions of other people, but from what God says. Listen, our answers are found in the word of God, amen? And what made the wise men wise is they listened to what God's word said. What else made them wise? They bowed down and worshiped him. That's a smart thing to do since he's the creator of the whole earth. Lord of all, they worshiped him. And probably most important, they were wise because they had, listen, they had the common sense not to go back to Herod like he told them to do, but to depart into their own country another way. And so that's what we've learned so far here in December. Now today we come to part four in this series, and I encourage you, if you have a Bible with you, to turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to learn how God was in control of both Mary and Joseph in all those events, the actual events leading up to and beyond Jesus' birth. I've entitled this message, Trusting in the Providence of God. So if you're physically able to, would you all stand with me? And the words will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. You follow along as I read our text from the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed or accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Lord, bless this uh, passage of scripture to our hearts today. Teach us, may the Holy Spirit give us good things today from your word that we can take home with us and apply to our lives. And we'll thank you in advance, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The Christmas story is a story of hardships, trials, inconveniences, 
one circumstance of bad news after another. Now, we like to think of the Christmas story as one really happy event, everything is nice and neat, but it really doesn't read that way, does it? It's a story of hardships, and on the screen, I put a paragraph here that I think gets to the heart of where this whole message is going today. The hardships and trials of life are actually God's sovereign providence at work. That is the message of Luke 2. A series of, quote, bad circumstances became the means, listen to this, became the means by which God brought to pass the greatest blessing this world has ever seen, the birth of a Savior. Let me read that again. A series of bad circumstances became the means by which God brought to pass the greatest blessing this world has ever seen, the birth of a Savior. What does that illustrate? It illustrates the truth of Romans 8.28, which says this, and we know that all things work together for good. Not just good things. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, I want to share with you then six items of bad news from the Christmas account of Luke 2, and this is from Mary and Joseph's perspective, six items of bad news associated with a Christmas story. Number one, and if you have your worship guide, you can just fill in these blanks. Number one, the taxes. Taxes are always bad news. Does anybody like taxes? I don't know about you. I, I mean, we pay taxes. We don't like it, but we do. But here in this passage... This was probably a census or a registration, not a taxation as we know it. Caesar Augustus no doubt thought this census was a good idea. He probably thought, you know what? I want to see how famous I am. I want to see how big my empire is. I want to see how many people are in my world empire here. And so he decided to launch this census, this registration. Actually, though, God put that idea in his head. Proverbs 21.2 says this, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it however he wants to. The fact is, God was behind this event, orchestrating it. God used this most inconvenient edict to get the right people in the right place at the right time. Let me say that again. God used this most inconvenient edict in order to get the right people in the right place at the right time. It is a magnificent illustration of the sovereignty of God. Now Caesar no doubt had political reasons for numbering his empire. But God had biblical reasons, namely to fulfill a prophecy of Micah 5.2 that the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. Now, we all know government decrees and government edicts and government mandates can be a real nuisance. Have you discovered that the last couple of years? I mean, if there's anything that we have 
come to realize in the last couple of years is what a nuisance a lot of these mandates can be. And we've experienced that. And you get a little bit of an idea how Joseph and Mary must have felt. I mean, they probably think, oh, who needs this? We don't need this. Now, let me just share with you, however, that we... uh, know from Romans 13 that unless the government is forcing us to go against Scripture, our sincerely held scriptural convictions, unless the government is forcing us to go against our religious convictions, we're bound to obey their decrees whether we like them or not. Quite frankly, we don't. At least most of us don't. But we still have to go by the Bible. In Romans 13, the Apostle Paul is absolutely clear that even if we don't like mandates, even if we don't like edicts, even if we don't like decrees, unless the government's forcing us to go against biblical convictions, we're bound to obey. And By the way, that's probably the most practical thing you'll ever hear about the COVID epidemic. Now, this brings me to point two. The reason this mandate was especially inconvenient for all of its citizens is point two, the trip. The trip. It was bad enough that the people had to register. But what made it really bad was they had to return to the hometown of their forefathers, their family roots, as you will, as far back as they could trace their lineage. They couldn't just go down to the local post office and sign up. Joseph couldn't just stay in Nazareth, go to the local place and sign up for he and Mary. He couldn't do that. They had to make a journey to the place of their roots, their family lineage. For Joseph, it meant going back to Bethlehem, which is 80 miles south of Nazareth. About a four-day journey, at least a four-day journey, if you went the short way from Galilee straight down through Samaria and down, down into Judea. But most Jews in Bible times did not take the short route. They avoided Samaria. From Galilee, they would go over to Tiberias, the city on the lake, the Sea of Galilee, all the way down along the Jordan River to a place called Jericho, and then they would head straight west up a very steep five-mile straight uphill. If you've ever been to the Holy Land on a tour of the Holy Land, you can appreciate how Jerusalem is a city set on a hill. I mean, so it was straight uphill, and that's the route that they usually take. In Bible times, you could accomplish about 20 miles a day. So even if they went the short way, it was four days, but it probably took them more like six days journey for Mary and Joseph. So the trip itself was a nuisance, a real inconvenience. But again, remember, it was absolutely necessary in order to fulfill that prophecy of Micah 5 too. You see, the Bible says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. 
That's Isaiah 55, 7. So the trip was most inconvenient, especially since Mary was pregnant. We read that in the passage. So now we're told of a third circumstance that complicated matters even worse. Number one, the taxes. Number two, the trip. Number three, the timing. Now this is what really makes it really a very uh, difficult situation. The Bible says in Luke 2, 6, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. In other words, the clock ran out for Mary. Now think about it, ladies. I think all of you women will be able to relate to this today. Mary is far away from home, far apart from any family to help her and support her. And now she has to go through the rigors of childbirth. I'm not sure what help Joseph was. We can only imagine. (laughs) But she doesn't have any family, any really moral support. She's there pretty much alone. And of course, the Bible says the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. My wife, Nancy, before she came down with all the serious side effects of the muscular dystrophy, and that was like in her late 40s. But as a young woman, uh, my wife was a registered nurse. A lot of you don't know that. But she worked in labor and delivery, and she loved her job. She often said that even if the hospital didn't pay her, she just loved helping women accomplished childbirth. Matter of fact, she, for one of the OB doctors, she actually taught childbirth classes for the hospital. And so I don't know how many countless babies are in the world today that were actually delivered, or at least my wife assisted in the delivery of babies. Most of them will be up in upstate New York. But she loved it. But can you imagine, ladies, what Mary, I mean, she did not have the benefit of a skilled registered nurse or a doctor or anyone, really, to be of real help and support. Now, sometimes we question God's timing, don't we? We say, why now, Lord? Why is this happening in my life now? But listen, we should never question God's timing. We should never question God's timing. God knows what he's doing. We don't. I'm sure Mary and Joseph thought to themselves, oh my, oh my. Here we are, 80 miles from home, from family, from people that we know and love. And now we have to have a baby here. In Bethlehem. And so we question God's timing, but we should never do that. Back when I was a young pastor in my very first church in Glen Burnie, Maryland, that's six miles south of Baltimore, uh, we decided uh, to take a family vacation. At that time, we only had two girls, Amy and Carrie, 
And Nancy was pregnant, eight months pregnant with our first son, Andrew. Now, men, let me tell you, there's something I learned. Don't ever take your wife on a tent camping trip when your wife is eight months pregnant. That was not a smart thing to do. Can I just say, I don't know what I was thinking. I must have been desperate to, to go on vacation. But, <laughs> but there we go. We were all loaded up, the, the cots and the, the sleeping bags and the tent and the pots and pans and the Coleman stove and all that paraphernalia. And we decided we were going to go from Glen Burnie, Maryland, down Interstate 95 to Williamsburg, Virginia, Chickahominy State Park Campground. And so we get in, we're on our route actually, we're going down Interstate 95, and I notice as we're traveling, this one car was really, really making me mad, quite honestly. Did you ever travel along an interstate and one particular car really gets your attention? This was a great big white Cadillac, and when I was behind him, I thought it was him, it was actually a her, and it would go real slow, so I'd pull into the passing lane, go around. And then all of a sudden, guess what? Here comes this car speeding around me and got in front of me. And then here we go again. Slows down to 30 degrees, or 30 miles per hour, on a 70-mile highway. And I, so I go around, and we did this, I don't know how many times. And about the time I was really getting upset about this, the things in the back, we had a little Ford Pinto. I don't know if any of you ever remember Ford Pintos. Ford Pinto hatchback and all the stuff was back. And I heard the pots and pans all fall over. And if there's anything that sets me off, it's when stuff in the back of the car falls over. Any of you relate to that? Oh, boy. So I heard all this stuff crashing back there, and so I pull off to the berm of the road to the side, the shoulder. I get out, go back to the back, straighten things out, get it all arranged. I get back on the highway, and I don't go but probably a mile down the road, and all of a sudden I saw all these brake lights and cars swerving off to the side, right and left, and I knew right then something bad's happened. So we get up there and I too pull off to see what's happened and the white Cadillac had gone off the side of the interstate down a steep hill into a ravine and crashed. And I and another man, um, we went down, we couldn't get the doors open. This lady is screaming, please help me, help me. And, and so, you know, so the doors, we couldn't get her out the doors, but the back window of the car had broken out. It was gone. So I and another guy crawl inside through the back window and grab this. Now, by the way, if there's any paramedics, I know you don't have to come to me, okay? <laughs> I know that this doesn't follow your codes and your way you would handle this. But this lady was literally screaming. She was panicking to get out of that car because she was trapped. Her legs were broken, so she had no ability to move. 
So I and this other guy, we pull her back across the seat and then back across the back seat and literally out through the back window onto the trunk of the car. And about the time that we finally got her extricated from the car, we saw the rescue vehicles start showing up. And I remember... I remember getting back in my car and thinking to myself, had not some pots and pans fallen over in the back of my car, that probably, that accident probably would have involved us, especially how erratic she was driving, right? And I learned, never question God's time. You know something? I think when we get to heaven, listen, our lives were spared because one or two seconds of difference spared our lives by the grace and the goodness of God. I I think God's going to reveal to us times where we would have died had he not intervened. And I'm confident to this day that that particular episode that we were involved in was God's way of showing us, look, I spared you from an accident and my timing is always just right. You know, the Bible says, let me give you a couple verses. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Ecclesiastes 3.1. And the psalmist said this, listen to this, my times are in your hands. So the taxes, and then the trip, and then the timing, and this brings me to point four, it keeps getting worse, believe it or not. Fourth, the turning away. The Bible says when Jesus was born, Mary laid him in a manger, quote, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, the text does not actually say they were turned away, but the implication is there that the inn was so crowded with visitors, there was no room for Mary and Joseph, no decent lodging place. As a matter of fact, it it was probably the innkeeper himself who suggested the idea that they go around back of the inn to the barn or the stable where the animals were tied and just to get out of the cold and just to have a place of shelter, at least they could go there. And so they did. And the amazing thing about this is we see yet another major inconvenience, another hardship And I'm sure that Mary must have felt like, you know, having a baby out here in a barn, in a stable. I mean, this has to be the last straw. That's a play on words. Did you get that? (laughs) I mean, in their minds, this is like, what else can go wrong? And, and, And now they have to, they don't even have a decent place. They have to be out in a barn in a stable. You know, there's times in our lives when we do pretty well coping with a series of adverse circumstances until 
that last, sometimes minor thing happens and it takes us over the top. You say, well, what else could go wrong? This had to be the ultimate bit of bad news for them. You say, well, why did God allow or orchestrate that? Why was that so important? The Bible prophesies that Jesus the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem, but doesn't prophesy that he has to be born in a barn. But God is trying to demonstrate through the birth of his own son a tremendous, glorious truth. And on the screen, you're going to read it. This final inconvenience was designed, listen, this final inconvenience was designed to show the whole world that Christ humbled himself. What a humble birthplace. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, for we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might be rich. You see, the humble settings of the birth of Jesus is what makes that birth so serene and so holy and so majestic and so awesome. Has there ever been a birth in all of history that's been more celebrated and more beautiful than the birth of Jesus Christ? But it was... Again, from a human perspective, not the place you would choose to have a baby. That's for sure. Well, now Jesus was finally born, and all of Mary and Joseph's problems are over, right? <laughs> not quite. There are two more things that happened even after the birth of Jesus that must have been quite traumatic. And we read of those later in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. And this brings me to point five. Are you ready for this? The testimony. When Jesus was 40 days old, according to the law, the Jewish law, when a male baby was 40 days old, it was time to take them to the temple for dedication. We, we've, you've all seen baby dedication, so you can relate to what a baby dedication looks like. So here's Mary and Joseph. They go into the temple. By the way, the wise men haven't arrived yet. You say, how do you know that? Well, you could, there's no threat on Jesus' life. He's going up into the temple as a baby in a very public ceremony. So Herod's decree to kill all babies hasn't taken place yet, which means the wise men don't arrive in Jerusalem until sometime after day 40. Little, just a little tidbit there to take home with you. All 45 years of my pastoral ministry, I would tell my people, please, when you set up your nativity scene, don't put the wise men there because they never made it to the stable. They never made it to the manger. So I said, just do this. Set them. They're coming from afar, so stick them way over here. <laughs> I said, if you want to be biblical, don't put them right at the manger because they didn't arrive then. So anyway, 
here we have this baby dedication. Now you're going to say, what could possibly go wrong at a baby dedication, right? I mean, it's such a happy, joyous event. It's an occasion where everybody's happy. What could go wrong at a baby dedication, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked that. An old man named Simeon comes up to Mary and Joseph and asks to take Jesus into his arms. And as he's holding Jesus, a 40-day-old baby, Simeon makes three tremendous statements. Three statements. First, he says, Now, Lord, let your servant depart from in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. What an amazing statement that is. He looks at this baby and says, God, now I've seen your salvation. You know what that tells me? Jesus is the one and only way of salvation and access to God. Amen? To see Jesus is to see God's salvation. So he says, Lord, let your servant depart in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. Then he says this. He says to Mary and Joseph, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign that will be spoken against. You say, what's that mean? In other words, see this old baby? He's going to be rejected. When he grows up, he's going to be spoken against. He's going to be rejected. Way to ruin a baby dedication. <laughs> Telling the parents, that their child's going to be rejected. Oh, but that is, that is an amazing truth. Because Simeon is looking beyond the baby dedication to the purpose why this baby came. Isaiah 53 says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. John 1.11 says, He came unto his own and his own received him not. Simeon prophesies the rejection of Jesus Christ, which ultimately is fulfilled at the cross. Then, women, listen carefully, ladies. He looks straight into Mary's eyes and he says this to Mary Yea, and a sword is going to pierce through your own soul also. And in that moment, Simeon is predicting the terrible grief and pain, the, the suffering that Mary, the mother, would experience. Such awful grief that it's, it would be like somebody taking a sword and piercing right into her heart. So, What's happening at the baby dedication is that Simeon, this old man, is drawing a straight line from the baby at his dedication ceremony to the purpose this baby came, and that's to be rejected and die for the sins of the world. You talk about the providence of God, God's plan and purpose.
being accomplished. That's phenomenal. Well, that brings me to the last point, and that is number six, the threat. Pastor Matthew covered this a little bit last week. Right after the baby dedication, the wise men then finally arrive in Jerusalem, and this is when Herod put forth his infamous decree to kill all the male babies in and around Jerusalem. It's called the slaughter of the innocents. How would you like that, to have a baby and the king decides to kill all the babies all around Jerusalem? But I want you to note this. This decree by Herod, this was the first in a whole series of attempts by Satan to snuff out the life of Jesus prematurely and thus defeat God's plan of redemption. Satan's job was to try to kill Jesus off before he went to the cross. And so he tries it when Jesus was a baby by Herod's decree. He tries it at the temptation when Satan takes Jesus up to the top of the temple and Satan says, just jump off. The angels will come swooping down and rescue you. Satan tries to destroy Jesus in Luke chapter 4 when his own townspeople at Nazareth take Jesus, this is right at the beginning of his ministry, up to the brow of a hill, up to the top of a hill, and they're going to cast him off a cliff and kill him. But I want to tell you, all of Satan's attempts to do away with Jesus were in vain because Jesus came and he had to die according to God's plan and God's time and... uh, That's why Jesus said all through his life, my time has not yet come. So fortunately, God graciously comes to Joseph in a dream and says to Joseph, get Mary and get the child and get out of here. Flee to Egypt. The king's trying to kill the baby. You flee to Egypt. And wonderfully and graciously, God intervenes um, and saves the life of of Jesus. So what do we learn today from this message? What's the point that I'm trying to make? And here it is. When the circumstances of life threaten you on all sides, and there may be some of you that are going through that right now, when the circumstances of life threaten you on all sides, remember this, God is in control. For you, things might be looking real bad, but God is still in control and you need to trust in his providence. Listen, if God, out of all those things that happened to Mary and Joseph, if God could accomplish his beautiful, perfect will, then God can accomplish in your life and in mine his perfect will His sovereign will. Yes, sometimes it involves hardships. Yes, sometimes it involves trials. But God is in control. Let's bow together, shall we, in prayer. Father, thank you for this Bible study. Thank you for reminding us.
today. What a great God you are. And even when it seems like this world is out of control, we need to remind ourselves that you are truly in control. And Lord, we know that you've even prophesied that before you come back again the second time, the things in the world are going to get worse and worse, not better and better. It's prophesied in the New Testament that things will wax worse and worse. And so, Lord, we can take heart today. We, we might get depressed when we see what's happening in the world, and, but we can be encouraged with the truth that it just is a sign that Jesus is coming back soon. And if we think Christmas, the first coming of Christ, was exciting and a wonderful event, wait till we see the second coming of Christ when Jesus comes back and takes over and rules as King of kings and Lord of lords. God, we can hardly wait for that. We can hardly wait for you to come back again and straighten out the mess this world's in. Lord, minister to us in these closing moments. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.